Section two of the History of Emily Montague, Volume two, by Francis Moore Brook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section two, letters sixty-five to seventy-four. Cast list. Arabella Fairmore, read by Grace Buchanan. Emily Montague, read by Emma Hatton edward rivers read by jim locke lucy rivers read by lian yao mrs e melmoth read by beth thomas william fermore read by kevin s narrated by sonia letter sixty five to miss rivers clarges street sillery february ten i have mentioned my plan to emily who is charmed with it tis a pretty evening amusement for two solitary girls in the country behold the first fruits of our correspondence to miss firmer it is not to you my dear girl i need vindicate my conduct in regard to sir george you have from the first approved it you have even advised it if i have been to blame tis in having too long delayed an explanation on a point of such importance to us both i have been long on the borders of a precipice without courage to retire from so dangerous a situation overborne by my family i have been near marrying a man for whom i have not the least tenderness and whose conversation is even now tedious to me my dear friend we were not formed for each other our minds have not the least resemblance have you not observed that when i have timidly hazarded my ideas on the delicacy necessary to keep love alive in marriage and the difficulty of preserving the heart of the object beloved in so intimate a union he has indolently ascended with a coldness not to be described to sentiments which it is plain from his manner he did not understand whilst another not interested in the conversation has by his countenance by the fire of his eyes by looks more eloquent than all language shewed his soul was intelligence with mine a strong sense of the force of engagements entered into with my consent though not the effect of my free unbiased choice and the fear of making sir george by whom i suppose myself beloved unhappy have thus long prevented my resolving to break with him for ever and though i could not bring myself to marry him i found myself at the same time incapable of assuming sufficient resolution to tell him so till his mother's letter gave me so happy an occasion there is no saying what transport i feel in being freed from this insupportable yoke of this engagement which has long sat heavy on my heart and suspended the natural cheerfulness of my temper yes my dear your emily has been wretched without daring to confess it even to you i was ashamed of owning i had entered into such engagements with a man whom i had never loved though i had for a short time mistaken esteem for a greater degree of affection than my heart ever really knew how fatal my dear bell is this mistake to half our sex and how happy i am to discover mine in time i have scarce yet asked myself what i intend but i think it would be most prudent to return to england in the first ship and retire to a relation of my mother's in the country where i can live with decency on my little fortune whatever is my fate no situation can be equally unhappy with that of being a wife to a man whom I have never the slightest friendship or esteem, for whose conversation I have not the least taste, and who, if I know him, would forever think me under an obligation to him for marrying me. 
I have the pleasure to see I give no pain to his heart, by a step which has relieved mine from misery. His feelings are those of wounded vanity, not of love. Adieu, your Emily Montague. I have no patience with relations, Lucy. This sweet girl has been two years wretched under the bondage her uncle's avarice, for he foresaw Sir George's acquisition, though she did not, prepared for her. Parents should choose our company, but never even pretend to direct our choice. If they take care, we converse with men of honor only. Tis impossible we can choose amiss. A conformity of taste and sentiment alone can make marriage happy, and of that none but the parties concerned can judge. By the way, I think long engagements, even between persons who love, extremely unfavorable to happiness. It is certainly right to be long enough acquainted to know something of each other's temper, but tis bad to let the first fire burn out before we come together. And when we have once resolved, I have no notion of delaying a moment. If I should ever consent to marry Fitzgerald, and he should not fly for a license before I had finished the sentence, I would dismiss him if there was not another lover to be had in Canada. Adieu, your faithful A. Fairmore. My Emily is now free as air. A sweet little bird escaped from the gilded cage. Are you not glad of it, Lucy? I am amazingly. Letter 66 To Miss Rivers, Clarges Street, Quebec, February 11th would one think it possible lucy that sir george should console himself for the loss of all that is lovely in woman by the sordid prospect of acquiring by an interested marriage a little more of that wealth of which he has already much more than he can either enjoy or become by what wretched motives are half mankind influenced in the most important action of their lives the vulgar of every rank expect happiness where it is not to be found in the ideal advantages of splendour and dissipation those who dare to think those minds who partake of the celestial fire seek it in the real solid pleasures of nature and soft affection i have seen my lovely emily since i wrote to you i shall not see her again of some days i do not intend at present to make my visits to Sillery so frequent as i have done lately lest the world ever studious to blame should misconstrue her conduct on this very delicate occasion i am even afraid to show my usual attention to her when present lest she herself should think i presume on the politeness she has ever shown me and see her breaking with sir george in a false light the greater i think her obliging partiality to me the more guarded i ought to be in my behaviour to her her situation has some resemblance to widowhood and she has equal decorums to observe i cannot however help encouraging a pleasing hope that i am not absolutely indifferent to her 
her lovely eyes have a softness when they meet mine to which words cannot do justice she talks less to me than to others but it is in a tone of voice which penetrates my soul and when i speak her attention is most flattering though of a nature not to be seen by common observers without seeming to distinguish me from the crowd who strive to engage her esteem and friendship she has a manner of addressing me which the heart alone can feel she contrives to prevent my appearing to give her any preference to the rest of her sex yet i have seen her blush at my civility to another she has at least a friendship for me which alone would make the happiness of my life and which i would prefer to the love of the most charming woman imagination could form sensible as i am to the sweetest of all passions this friendship however time and assiduity may ripen into love at least i should be most happy if i did not think so i love her with a tenderness of which few of my sex are capable you have often told me and you were right that my heart has all the sensibility of woman a mail is arrived by which i hope to hear from you i must hurry to the post-office you shall hear again in a few days adieu your affectionate ed rivers letter sixty seven to colonel rivers at quebec london december first you need be in no pain my dear brother on mr temple's account my heart is in no danger from a man of his present character his person and manner are certainly extremely pleasing his understanding and i believe his principles are worthy of your friendship an encomium which let me observe is from me a very high one he will be admired everywhere but to be beloved he wants or at least appears to me to want the most endearing of all qualities that genuine tenderness of soul that almost feminine sensibility which with all your firmness of mind and spirit you possess beyond any man i ever yet met with if your friend wishes to please me which i almost fancy he does he must endeavour to resemble you tis rather hard upon me i think that the only man i perfectly approve and whose disposition is formed to make me happy should be my brother i beg you will find out somebody very like yourself for your sister for you have really made me saucy i pity you heartily and wish above all things to hear of your emily's marriage for your present situation must be extremely unpleasant but my dear brother as you were so very wise about temple allow me to ask you whether it is quite consistent with prudence to throw yourself in the way of a woman so formed to inspire you with tenderness and whom it is so impossible you can ever hope to possess is not this acting a little like a foolish girl who plays round the flame which she knows will consume her my mother is well but will never be happy till you return to england i often find her in tears over your letters i will say no more on a subject which i know will give you pain i hope however to hear you have given up all thoughts of settling in america it would be a better plan to turn farmer in rutland we could double the estate by living upon it and i am sure i should make the prettiest milkmaid in the country i am serious and think we could live very superbly altogether in the country consider it well my dear ned for i cannot bear to see my mother so unhappy as your absence makes her i hear her on the stairs i must hurry away my letter 
for I don't choose you to know I write to you on this subject. Adieu. Your affectionate, Lucy Rivers. Say everything for me to Belle Firmer, and in your own manner to your Emily, in whose friendship I promise myself great happiness. Letter 68 To Miss Montague at Salary, Montreal, February 10 Never has any astonishment equal mine, my dear Emily, at hearing you had broken engagement of years, so much to your advantage as to fortune, and with a man of so very unexceptionable a character as Sir George, without any other apparent cause than a slight indelicacy in a letter of his mother's, for which candour and affection would have found a thousand excuses. I will not allow myself to suppose, what is, however, publicly said here, that you have sacrificed prudence, decorum, and I had almost said honour, to an imprudent inclination for a man to whom there is the strongest reason to believe you are indifferent, and who is even said to have an attachment to another. I mean Colonel Rivers, who, though a man of worth, is in a situation which makes it impossible for him to think of you, were you even as dear to him as the world says he is to you. I am too unhappy to say more on this subject, but expect from our past friendship a very sincere answer to two questions whether love for Colonel Rivers was the real motive for the indiscreet step you have taken, and whether, if it was, you have the excuse of knowing he loves you. I should be glad to know what are your views, if you have any. I am, my dear Emily, your affectionate friend, E. Melmoth. Letter 69 To Mrs. Melmoth at Montreal, Salary, February 19th my dear madam i am too sensible of the rights of friendship to refuse answering your questions which i shall do in as few words as possible i have not the least reason to suppose myself beloved by colonel rivers nor if i know my heart do i love him in that sense of word your question supposes i think him the best the most amiable of mankind in my extreme affection for him though i believe that affection only a very lively friendship first awakened me to a sense of the indelicacy and impropriety of marrying Sir George. To enter into so sacred an engagement as marriage with one man, with a stronger affection for another, of how calm and innocent a nature soever that affection may be, is a degree of baseness of which my heart is incapable. When I first agreed to marry Sir George, I had no superior esteem for any other man i thought highly of him and wanted courage to resist the pressing solicitations of my uncle to whom i had a thousand obligations i even almost persuaded myself i loved him nor did i find my mistake till i saw colonel rivers in whose conversation i had so lively a pleasure as soon convinced me of my mistake i therefore resolved to break with sir george and nothing but the fear of giving him pain prevented my doing it sooner his behaviour on the receipt of his mother's letter removed that fear and set me free in my own opinion, and I hope will in yours, from engagements which were equally in the way of my happiness and his ambition. If he is sincere, he will tell you my refusal of him made him happy, though he chooses to affect a chagrin which he does not feel. I have no view but that of returning to England in the spring and fixing with a relation in the country. If Colonel Rivers has an attachment, I hope it is to one worthy of him, for my own part, I never entertained the remotest thought of him in any light, but that of the most sincere and tender of friends. I am, madam, with great esteem, your affectionate friend and obedient servant, Emily Montague. Letter 70 To Miss Rivers, Clarges Street, Sillery, February 27 
there are two parties at quebec in regard to emily the prudent mamas abuse her for losing a good match and suppose it to proceed from her partiality to your brother to the imprudence of which they give no quarter whilst the misses admire her generosity and spirit in sacrificing all for love so impossible it is to please everybody however she has in my opinion done the wisest thing in the world that is she has pleased herself as to her inclination for your brother i am of their opinion that she loves him without being quite clear in the point herself she has not yet confessed the fact even to me but she has speaking eyes lucy and i think i can interpret their language whether he sees it or not i cannot tell i rather think he does because he has been less here and more guarded in his manner when here than before this matrimonial affair was put an end to which is natural enough on that supposition because he knows the impertinence of quebec and is both prudent and delicate to a great degree he comes however and we are pretty good company only a little more reserved on both sides which is in my opinion a little symptomatic la here's papa come up to write at my bureau i dare say it's only to pry into what i am about but excuse me my dear sir for that adieu jucandoma ma très chère yours a fairmore letter seventy one to miss rivers clarges street quebec february twentieth every hour my lucy convinces me more clearly there is no happiness for me without this lovely woman her turn of mind is so correspondent to my own that we seem to have but one soul the first moment i saw her the idea struck me that we had been friends in some pre-existent state and were only renewing our acquaintance here when she speaks my heart vibrates to the sound and owns every thought she expresses a native there the same dear affections the same tender sensibility the most precious gift of heaven inform our minds and make us peculiarly capable of exquisite happiness or misery the passions my lucy are common to all but the affections the lively sweet affections the only sources of true pleasure are the portion only of a chosen few uncertain at present of the nature of her sentiments i am determined to develop them clearly before i discover mine if she loves as i do even a perpetual exile here will be pleasing the remotest wood in canada with her would be no longer a desert wild it would be the habitation of the graces but i forget your letter my dear girl i am hurt beyond words at what you tell me of my mother and would instantly return to england did not my fondness for this charming woman detain me here you are both too good in wishing to retire with me to the country will your tenderness lead you a step farther my lucy it would be too much to hope to see you here and yet if i marry emily 
it will be impossible for me to think of returning to england there is a man here whom i should prefer of all men i ever saw for you but he is already attached to your friend bell firmer who is very inattentive to her own happiness if she refuses him i am very happy in finding you think of temple as i wish you should you are so very civil lucy in regard to me i am afraid of becoming vain from your praises take care my dear you don't spoil me by this excess of civility for my only merit is that of not being a coxcomb i have a heaviness of heart which has never left me since i read your letter i am shocked at the idea of giving pain to the best parent that ever existed yet have less hope than ever of seeing england without giving up the tender friend the dear companion the adored mistress in short the very woman i have all my life been in search of i am also hurt that i cannot place this object of all my wishes in a station equal to that she has rejected and i begin to think rejected for me i never before repined at seeing the gifts of fortune lavished on the unworthy adieu my dear i will write again when i can write more cheerfully your affectionate ed rivers letter seventy two to the earl of blank Sillery, february twentieth my lord your lordship does me great honour in supposing me capable of giving any satisfactory account of a country in which i have spent only a few months as a proof however of my zeal and the very strong desire i have to merit the esteem you honour me with i shall communicate from time to time the little i have observed and may observe as well as what i hear from good authority with that lively pleasure with which i have ever obeyed every command of your lordships the french in the first settling this colony seem to have an eye only to the conquest of ours their whole system of policy seems to have been military not commercial or only so far commercial as was necessary to supply the wants and by so doing to gain the friendship of the savages in order to make use of them against us the lands are held on military tenure every peasant is a soldier every seigneur an officer and both serve without pay whenever called upon the services except a very small quit-rent by way of acknowledgment all they pay for their lands the seigneur holds of the crown the peasant of the seigneur who is at once his lord and commander the peasants are in general tall and robust notwithstanding their excessive indolence they love war and hate labor are brave hardy alert in the field but lazy and inactive at home in which they resemble the savages whose manners they seem strongly to have imbibed the government appears to have encouraged a military spirit all over the colony though ignorant and stupid to a great degree these peasants have a strong sense of honour and though they serve as i have said without pay are never so happy as when called to the field they are excessively vain and not only look on the french as the only civilized nation in the world but on themselves as the flower of the french nation they had i am told a great aversion to the regular troops which came from france in the late war and a contempt equal to that aversion they however had an affection and esteem for the late marquis de montcombe which almost rose to idolatry 
and i have even at this distance of time seen many of them in tears at the mention of his name an honest tribute to the memory of a commander equally brave and humane for whom his enemies wept even on the day when their own hero fell i am called upon for this letter and have only time to assure your lordship of my respect and of the pleasure i always receive from your commands i have the honour to be my lord your lordships etc william fermor letter seventy three to miss fermor february twenty fourth eleven at night i have indeed my dear a pleasure in his conversation to which words cannot do justice love itself is less tender and lively than my friendship for rivers from the first moment i saw him i lost all taste of other conversation even yours amiable as you are borrows its most prevailing charm from the pleasure of hearing you talk of him when i call my tenderness for him friendship i do not mean either to paint myself as an enemy to tender sentiments or him as one whom it is easy to see without feeling them all i mean is that our situations make it impossible for us to think of each other except as friends i have endeavoured i hope with success to see him in no other light it is not in his power to marry without fortune and mine is a trifle had i worlds they should be his but i am neither so selfish as to desire nor so romantic as to expect that he should descend from the rank of life he has been bred in and live lost to the world with me as to the impertinence of two or three women i hear of it with perfect indifference my dear rivers esteems me he approves my conduct and all else is below my care the applause of worlds would give me less pleasure than one smile of approbation from him i am astonished your father should know me so little as to suppose me capable of being influenced even by you when i determined to refuse sir george it was from the feelings of my own heart alone the first moment i saw colonel rivers convinced me my heart had till then been a stranger to true tenderness from that moment my life has been one continued struggle between my reason which shewed me the folly as well as indecency of marrying one man when i so infinitely preferred another and a false point of honour and mistaken compassion from which painful state a concurrence of favourable accidents has at length happily relieved me and left me free to act as becomes me of this my dear be assured that though i have not the least idea of marrying colonel rivers yet whilst my sentiments for him continue what they are i will never marry another man i am hurt at what mrs melmoth hinted in her letter to you of rivers having appeared to attach himself to me from vanity she endeavours in vain to destroy my esteem for him you well know he never did appear to attach himself to me he is incapable of having done it from such a motive but if he had such delight i have in whatever pleases him that i should with joy have sacrificed my own vanity to gratify his adieu your emily montague letter seventy four to miss montague february twenty five eight o'clock just up my dear you deceive yourself you love colonel rivers you love him even with all the tenderness of romance read over again the latter part of your letter i know friendship and of what it is capable but i fear the sacrifices it makes are of a different nature examine your heart my emily and tell me the result of that examination it is of the utmost consequence to you to be clear as to the nature of your affection for rivers adieu yours a fermor
End of section 2